Hello and welcome to our first review of the Lupus Literature for 2023. We're going to be recording these podcasts for you every month from now on, so it'll be easy to keep up to date with the latest literature and expert opinion. I'm Ed Vitale, I'm chair of the Lupus Forum. I'm a rheumatologist, I work in the University of Leeds and Leeds Teaching Hospitals in the UK, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Professor Chris Edwards, who's also a rheumatologist and a chair in clinical rheumatology at University Hospital Southampton, also in the UK. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me. Great to see you again. And we've got from the literature search we did for January, you've chosen a few of the highlights and they're all about new therapies. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely right. And and and, th and there's a spread. So we've got some earlier phase studies and we've got a, a systematic review uh, as well, which allows us to look at the whole breadth of what's done. So maybe if we move on to the first of those studies, which um, uh, was about targeted therapies in lupus in general. So perhaps moving on now to this one. So this is my uh, Felton et al. Um, and it's an enormous piece of work. It's done by colleagues in Strasbourg, uh, and they basically looked at clinicaltrials.gov, and they looked at all of the um, the therapies that were in development and those that are licensed now as well. So, you know, belimumab and anaphrolimab are in there as well as things that have still got numbers and letters rather than names uh, in the development program. Uh, and they defined the mechanisms of action in various different ways. They had a look to see, you know, what was anti-B cell, what was involved with uh, T cells, co-stimulation, uh, cytokines, chemokines, and they uh, interferons, for, ex uh, for example. And what's amazing is just to think about how many studies are going on at the moment or have been going on. So they looked at 92 different targeted therapies, 92. So, I mean, to me, the really big thing, and just to point out the full slide deck, I think is available on the website for this one as well. But it's also worth getting the paper because it really is bedtime reading to just cover the whole extent of the mechanisms of action that are being looked at. Uh, and also, I guess, over time, you get this sense of how the trial designs are changing slowly over time as well. Um, so what were their you know, highlights? They they comment on the pipeline of investigational drugs. They talk about the fact that it's uh, there are lots of different mechanisms of action that are being targeted. It's not that people aren't trying to find uh, new therapies. Uh, and they make comments about how that will help clinically in the future if we get the right drugs to the right patients. Uh, I don't know if you had any thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it was it was a very interesting overview. It's an interesting kind of systematic review that systematic literature reviews are normally of like PubMed and Web of Science. Yeah. But this is a literature review of clinicaltrials.gov, which is an interesting approach. And it has yeah. been quite revealing. So it's something you don't see in other papers. Um, and they had a really nice figure as well, actually, didn't they? There's, there's, it's well worth looking at the original paper because they've, yeah. they've thought of it. They've came up with a really clever way of summarizing what's in the pipeline, how it works, as well as how advanced it is. And I guess I thought... When you have these drugs that are sort of coming over the horizon, you sort of think, well, what does this mean actually now for me as a rheumatologist or what, you know, what should I be, do I just wait to see which ones make it and which ones don't? And it, for me, it really is that point that 10 years ago, everything was about targeting B cells, but now we're going really, really diverse, innate immunity, signaling mechanisms, T cells, so many different things and it's kind of and it's a sort of we've started to see what that's going to mean in practice when anaphrolimab and voclosporin came out 
that you started to think, okay, so now I've got choices for the same patient, potentially, there might be more than one drug that's appropriate for that patient. And how am I going to decide which one is going to be right? And it means that we start to need to start thinking now about like, who are the unmet needs? Who who isn't served well by what we've got mm-hmm. now, by bulimumab or anaphrolimab? Who's, what's not responding to that? And where might we need a different mechanism? Uh, it's it's things like that isn't it is that you always the paradigm always has to change to catch up with the therapies as they're released on it and even the generalized features of the paradigm like you know get more ambitious treat to target keep people in remission avoid steroids all those general messages aren't they you think when you've got all this many drugs potentially yeah and and you also think that if if you can trust you know assuming the trial design is you know there are in problems haven't they with designing lupus trials and being able to get the outcomes that are probably deserved but but assuming they're generally right in most of these it also allows you to tick off some mechanisms doesn't it and say well in terms of understanding the pathology behind the disease this may be less important this may be more yeah. important and so it maps it out and and almost you want to do another systematic review or tables from this showing all the different mechanisms, but also looking at, I was thinking about, you know, I'd like a systematic review that then had a timeline of the tweaks and changes to the design of the studies yeah. over that period of time. And whether we're getting through doing all these different mechanisms, better at doing studies as well, you know, not yeah. just the, 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 what the, what the drug target is. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and then, and the other thing, you know, like you say, crossing off mechanisms or, or roles of drugs and things is important. And it's, is the other thing we found as we've started to get a few more molecules actually coming into the clinic, I think, is that the trials tell you sort of stuff about quite common lupus features like skin and joints and things. Um, and then everyone immediately asks, now when I speak about these drugs, everyone asks me, what about neuropsychiatric or what about all these GI manifestations and all this rare stuff that is causing me such a headache? And you kind of think, well, this is actually where physicians need to step in and start playing with these things in the clinic and working out where these RCTs will never do that. Yeah, well, well, this this paper was uh, a list of all the things that we might want to try and play with in the future. So that, yeah. that was exciting to look at. Okay, so we can move on to the next study now. Um, and this, you know, from looking at a whole spread of different things, this is now looking at one specific study of one specific mechanism of, of action. And this is looking at, uh, at a Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitor, so a BTK inhibitor. It's evabrutinib, uh, and it's a phase two study. Uh, and f- I guess a few things to say about this. BTK inhibitors are being used in different diseases. They're in development for different things. They've been used by our hemo-oncology colleagues. Uh, they're being used in MS studies. So, you know, there's there's an, an interest in looking at these. Uh, and so this was looking at patients uh, with lupus. Um, looking at the paper in the background of the sort of patients with, that were involved, I mean, they had quite bad lupus, I think. Um, they were still on a fair lump of steroids as well, although I think there was a bit of a taper that was introduced in the in the study to try and get that down. But I think the mean at baseline was about 10 milligrams, something like that. So, you know, there were steroids around. So uh, top left of the slide, you can see that the individuals went into the study, they were randomized to have different doses, because at this stage, we're still trying to look at dose findings. So 25 milligrams, 75 milligrams, and then 50 milligrams BD of evabrutinib, and then placebo. And then it would have gone on to a long into a long term extension study, 
but I think that was stopped because of the results, the you know the negative results of this of this trial. Uh, they looked in a couple of different ways. So their outcome measures were looking at um, an SRI four for the general population that was studied. So one of these responder indexes, uh, and then they did a higher responder index, so the SRI six for a high disease activity population as well. So enriched for a more aggressive disease. And over on the right-hand side, you can see the data that comes out of this, these, the percentage of patients achieving either an SRI4 on the top from the whole intention to treat population. Uh, and then on the bottom right, you can see those in the high disease activity subpopulation. And if you follow from placebo and look along uh, and look for p-values. Um, uh, there, there isn't really anything that shows a yeah. uh, significant difference there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, the the headline result results of phase two study uh, suggest that BTK inhibition uh, may not be effective. Um, I guess there are all the caveats around, but I wonder if in certain situations, I wonder if the study design was a bit different. Yeah. But you know, it's it's a negative result, isn't it? And it's I, I'm I find it hard to understand why it's negative because it's not the only one. Um, and I did this. Um, there's another on the cytokine signaling forum. I did a piece uh, in November with David Eisenberg and John Isaac, and we were talking about the BTK inhibitor class in rheumatology in general. And when you look at how they work, you sort of think, yeah, that sounds great for lupus that the mechanism so you know we're always borrowing drugs from lymphoma and leukemia and things for lupus because it usually we want to target b cells too and these have been really transformative in those hematological diseases btk is the signaling pathway for the b cell receptor so for b cells to detect their antigens and for toll-like receptor signaling it's the kind of innate pathway the chemokine receptors and for FC gamma receptors, which is what when you've got immune complexes or antibodies somewhere as part of the disease process, how that causes inflammation. So it, it blocks that too. So it blocks all that stuff. And there's a load of other effects. Um, so it ought to work. Um, and at that time, we were saying that the fenobrutinib study had been negative. But one thing I was a little bit aware of uh, coming from outside hematology is that actually... In this class, the BTK inhibitors, there's quite a lot of different ones, and there are some quite big differences between them and how they bind to their target and how, how effectively. And actually, people who don't respond to one can then go on to respond really well to another. So we sort of we weren't quite ready then to say this class of therapies doesn't work, but now here we are. Bit, another, yeah, neg another negative trial. It's a bit harder, isn't it? Yeah, now it's a bit harder. So I don't. I don't understand why it doesn't work, to be honest. Um, but for the moment, I don't think that there isn't that much positive to see in these results, I have to say. Um, and, you know, perhaps, you know, if, if I might have thought this was one of those drugs that when I'm in a desperate situation, I might be trying to repurpose from other diseases in an off-label fashion for a difficult patient or something. But I'm, I'm less keen on that now. Yeah, I think that's the case, isn't it? Okay, so maybe we should move on to the last of the, of the studies that we were looking at. Um, so, so this is now looking, this is a, a different mechanism of action. And, and this is looking at the CD40, CD40 ligand uh, pathway, if you like, or CD molecules. Uh, so daparolizumab uh, is a pegylated fab fragment. So it's like a little antibody with peggle where the FC portion should be. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is further analysis 
from the phase two B study that was published, I think probably in 2021. So it's probably a couple of years ago now, isn't it? And showed, although it missed the primary endpoint that was the um, a dose response, it was positive in lots of things. And I, I was looking at the original paper this morning and you can see, you know, things like um, C3 complement went up in, in, in most of the patients in sort of what looked like a bit of a, a dose response. Anyway, missed its primary endpoint, but in further development. So what this study is uh, looking at was to get more information from the pharmacokinetics of the study. So I think it's interesting to look at the paper just because it reminds us about CD40, CD40 ligand uh, as, as a good way if you interfere with that of having an effect in lupus. Um, and of course, it's, it's a mechanism of action that has a long history which was pulled from development a number of years ago uh, because of efficacy and some safety problems, and then has been redesigned, um, new approaches. Uh, and now I think this is in, in a phase three study, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And the, the phase three is going quite well. Well, we don't know any results, but I mean, it's recruiting at the moment. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like like you say, this is this is a mechanism that makes total sense as well, um, and it's all and people have always. I mean, I I remember I think even 20, fifteen years ago, people were saying that this was a good therapeutic target, weren't they? Because it's it's kind of that immune synapse thing, isn't it? It's that antigen presenting cell to T cell or B cell to T cell crosstalk, like a batacept does. It tries. It's another one of those um, co stimulation molecules. Um, and so again, it makes perfect sense. But th in this case, it, there was never any. No one ever said it, it that won't work. It was just that it caused thromboembolism. Yeah. And I think the as far as I understand it, the idea was it's, it's cross-linking those FCs that causes with pla causes platelet aggregation, and that's why it's thought to not work. So why putting the pegol there instead of the FC then? solves that problem um, and gives you a safe molecule. So it's got every, you know, every chance of, of working. It, it, it ought to. And, and like you say, the fact, yeah, I think we're, we're often used to saying, as opposed to studies where it just looks all negative, there's a difference when you go to some studies where it's like, maybe it didn't meet the primary endpoint, but you see all this positive yeah, stuff in exactly. there. So, yeah, there were there are lots of things that look positive on the original paper. Yeah. And, and then I suppose, you know, for, for this one, there's lots of pharmacokinetics in this. I, I can't uh, pretend that I understand all of what was done, but I think they wanted to generate some extra data around the pharmacokinetics. Look how the, the pegylation influenced its pharmacokinetics, whether it operated in the way um, you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, it, and it's interesting to be reminded of the molecule, isn't it? Yeah, and it's and it's important, isn't it? When again, to know when when things do or don't work is whether they actually were having the desired biological effect as well as just measuring the clinical endpoints. So, well, I guess we don't know quite what this is going to mean for us in the clinic, except really that it's just one to keep your eye on. I think it's because yep. it's if you go back to that first paper where the, the different molecules were getting closer and closer to the clinic, this one's fairly near the finish line potentially if the yep. phase three comes off, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Right, so that's uh, that's our last paper for today then. So it's quite a, a brief review. Um, but uh, thank you, Chris, for reviewing these publications and sharing your opinion. It's always good to think about how these data might impact on our practice. And 
Thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, the papers that we discussed, they're available on the website. The Felton and the Wallace papers, those are full slide sets. And uh, the last one there on dapolizumab pharmacokinetics, that's a single slide summary in our literature highlights. So you can find all of those at lupus-forum.com. As always, they're PowerPoints that you can download and you can use them in your own teaching or your, or your journal clubs, like everything on the Lupus Forum. Um, so if you make sure you're registered on the Lupus Forum, then we'll email you when there's some new content available. Um, and you can also follow us on Lupus Forum on Twitter and LinkedIn. So thanks again and see you next time. Thank you.